We have to grasp that the biosphere is an absolute boundary that limits our behaviour. Then you say, okay, well, how do you get that biosphere imperative to made real in the practical functioning of humans? Put it into every constitution. Having got that in, then that's when change starts to happen, when action starts to happen. Hello. And welcome to the second series of the Hidden Power podcast called Pre-Flight Checklist. It's a useful analogy which we are using to think about getting the best out of our little lives on Spaceship Earth, using something that profoundly impacts our lives, but none of us ever really see, a constitution. In this series, we explore one by one each of the 26 principles that would govern a pleasant life through and at the far side of the current climate emergency. I'm Philip Tottenham, and my co-presenter is the author of these principles, Ed Straw. Now, Ed, would you like to talk us through, or even state, the uh, your first and most important principle of your 26 principles that we'll be dealing with? Yeah. Uh, this is the biophysical world is incorporated as the central partner in our governance models. Um, so that, it would be worth spelling out each term of that because I think it's worth okay. knowing what the biophysical world really means. Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to use this term, the biosphere, quite a lot. So the, the biosphere is that part of the planet that supports life in all forms. So the land, the soil, the air, a portion of the crust, the water, the oceans, the rivers... It has existed, and we've existed for, I mean, as long as we can either personally remember or as, as far as our cultures can remember. So why why does something that's so fundamental and in a sense so obvious needing to be brought into governance systems now when it hasn't really had a central place in the past? Yeah, well, we've had two or three hundred years of industrialization, which has caught, which mainly caused the, the problems that we now experience, climate biodiversity, soil, etc., etc., etc. And there's an increasing understanding that that we've been doing this to the biosphere and that we have to stop doing it and indeed clean up the mess and that this imposes limits on human behaviour. So, I mean, previously we treated nature, the environment, as an infinite resource and an infinite dumping ground. Economists uh, treated the environment as an externality. It doesn't Mm. matter. It's, you know, do what you like to it. We now know for absolute sure that you can't do what you like to it. Um, so this this is really about our our journey through modernity, and I suppose in a sense it's about our our good fortune as human beings to have discovered things like logic and and that rules can can help, uh, whether that's in science or or in human society, but it's been incredibly successful you know the rules of of logic and mathematics have brought about things like engineering that that have given us this incredible modern world that we live in Mm. but creeping up in parallel has been this other logic which we've been ignoring and has gradually made itself felt in this radical change in climate and biodiversity that we're now witnessing yeah i mean i put it in terms of the flash to bang time so Mm. there's an explosion that you observe miles away and there's a big flash 
and then there's a delay, then there's a damn great bang, uh, and then the force of the explosion hits you and may well blow you to smithereens. The problem with the biosphere is that the flash to bang time, so in terms of, you know, we chuck stuff at it, but then it's, it's years, decades, centuries before it goes back bang. But it is now kicking off big time and you've got these salvos of fire, flood, drought, famine, disease, storm. Well, let's just slow down. So those those flashes, yeah, so we've had the wildfires in Australia and California. We've had floods, I mean, across the temperate world. I think also you could include in that the sort of secondary effects, like, for example, the war in Syria, yep. I think is uh, seemingly has roots in, in the increasing challenges of, of agricultural production yep. in that country. To some extent, Ethiopia, I believe, has been linked to climate change as well, the, the current troubles yeah. there. And then, of course, there's this massive uptick in migration across, particularly across the Sahel, but across the world in general. Mm. And a lot of the right-wing politics that we're seeing in the West can be traced to, to that. And if you look at the US military, however you regard it, does a lot of work trying to work out global threats. Well, you mentioned that they were great systems thinkers as well. I suppose that's a part of their kind of diagnostic yeah, arsenal. But, yeah, very very much so. And, and they've looked, you know, is it China? Is it Russia? Is it the Middle East? No. Mm. The biggest threats, so far as the US military are concerned, are mass migration from Central and South America to the middle of North America, the I, them. Mm. And then internally, a civil disorder in a big way as people compete for basic resources like food. Mm. So absolutely, they they have worked out that climate change and all of the associated emergencies are the biggest threat. You know, the way I can see it is these things that have happened so far, they're, they're mere warnings of the sort of cybernetic revenge of the biosphere. I mean, humans have picked a power battle with the biosphere and there's only one winner and it's not us. I mean, again, it comes back to this sort of natural power battle that has occurred throughout history between uh, different peoples. But who lays down the law? Well, we're now seeing that nature is is laying down the law. And I suppose that, that gives a great context for why we need to put the biosphere centrally into our governance models. Yes. And, and if we think about our behaviour as human beings, the biosphere is challenging every human ego you know we've got individuality freedom entitlement rights but actually there's this limit to it mm. that's saying no you can't if i could just read you a section um from the book which i, I think makes the point quite well it goes as follows climate change however does not listen to the morning's news program read the newspapers, or hear the latest announcements by a government. It does not instruct hurricanes and tornadoes to stand down, floods to recede, the sun to turn down the heat, or wildfires to be extinguished in response to a policy announcement, a president's tweet, or a denier's assertion. The planet will do what the planet will do. Hopes, beliefs, and adversarial arguments are extraneous to it. Well, I'm reminded when you say that of an imperial or an imperious aloofness, a kind of brutal aloofness of 
the biosphere to the tribulations of mankind. But the, the fundamental logic that we're looking at here is that this is a life support system. And when you talk about individual human egos, I find myself thinking that this is uh, it's about a personal relationship to the biosphere and seeing that that this is not just a sort of a, a separate thing. This is the, you know, for, for me as an individual, this is what supports me. And it's, I suppose that people are always a bit resistant to being told why they have to do things. But the, the gains, you know, the richness of the natural environment in terms of what it offers our physical and mental health, is enormous. Exactly, and that's reframing. Nature is not something separate from us. We are not separate from the biosphere. We, we are part of it. We are actually just another, so far as it's concerned, just another species in it. Mm. You know, it's a mindset change. Nature is such a gift to us. I mean, you put anyone next to an animal, they'll be engrossed in what that animal does and the way it yes. behaves. Yeah, yeah. Put someone in a wood um, and just the sense of peace and wonder in that wood, you know. You're demonstrating there a sort of a picture of, of physical and mental health. And I think you also, uh, in our emails, you, you mentioned uh, this idea of, of self-harm as being a sort of picture of, of, to some extent, what we do to the, the biosphere. It's just like smoking. You know, you don't sort of smoke in order to harm yourself, and yet you know that it harms you. Yeah. Um, and it's one of these things that people do as, a, as an expression of something that's a little bit hard to put your finger on. But I think in our relation to the biosphere, certainly the, the picture of, of self-harm, I think, is, is a good image for what's really going on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in many respects, I regard nature as the alternative to mass consumerism, but actually a far better alternative. Mm. You know, on the one hand, I mean, we can all, you know, rush out and buy things. We can buy more things now online and, you know, they flow through the door and there we are. But actually, luxury, you know, to live connected to and understand nature nature has is far more luxurious in my view mm. once you get connected to it than a gucci handbag or a ferrari or you know whatever it might be well this is the thing the the, the shiny objects are a picture not just of of um, mental health but also wealth i think that um that sort of show a real short-termism yeah and again, in our emails, I think we were discussing this idea of, you know, you have these multi-generational wealth management by families, which for some people is, is seen as being one of the great sort of ills of the world because it stops beneficial change. And yet that exact orientation is what we need to be thinking about with regards to the biosphere. Um, and again, of course, you were talking before about the Welsh Parliament, um, which you talked about the Future Generations Act. Do you want to walk us through that? Yeah, so so this is, um, in many respects, the sort of thing that I'm talking about in terms of this principle. The mm. Generations Act basically says that anything the Welsh government does, uh, a law, a policy, a plan, whatever, has to take into account future generations, its impact on future generations. So some of that, maybe in terms of the economy or schooling, particularly it's in terms of the environment. So if mm. you're about to do something that's going to spew out even more greenhouse gases, then you have to stop and find mm. another way of doing it. And there are other countries around the world that, that are moving in this direction. I think it's Ecuador is incorporating a river 
into its constitution and has given rights to that river in mm. order to preserve it and understand its importance to the whole country because, I mean, rivers are fundamental. Um, in That's an interesting point, actually. I mean, this uh, a lot... Um without no pun intended but a lot flows from from what river basin you're in in terms of the actual resources that we use as individuals is that something that you could see coming into into for example into the uk um well it should do um so i mean that there are various um over the years of the, the water framework directive from the eu going back many years um is is yeah trying to take a holistic view uh, to uh, rivers, but in uh, to, to water supply generally, but in the sense of has anyone in government really understood that actually rivers are vital, essential, etc., 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 to our whole existence and indeed our whole economy? Well, I don't think they have. Interesting. So, wh- where can we go with this? I suppose we've got our models, for example, in Ecuador or the Welsh Parliament and so on, but. As individuals, how are we going to embed this central principle to our lives and to, to our governments? I mean, this isn't just something that, we're, that you would like to see implemented in government. It's also something that would filter down to the individual level as well. This is a, a really interesting point at this stage because, it, you know, so many people say, oh, well, you know, it's the Chinese, it's the Indians, it's the US. And, and so, well, actually, it's it's every country. Hmm. Uh, and then people go, oh, well, it's government. Government's got to do it. And, and yeah, government's got to do it. Companies have got to do it. And we have got to do it. Think about, you know, we each have a two-way relationship with the planet. With, with nature, with the environment. You know, I do things that produce greenhouse gases that I pollute. Mm. Um, now, you know, if I'm connected with my life support system, how, how do I feel about that? Mm. Well, it's, it's, a, it's very personal. Do you, you know, do I actually want to pollute that river or, or you know do I well and again that, that brings us back to the the smoking analogy which i think is so so strong it's you know do, do you really want to, to be kind of hurting yourself in this way first thing to do is to well if you like take uh, the first part of this podcast and understand that the biosphere is vital secondly that only actions count Words are irrelevant. This is about us understanding that these are the circumstances in which we live. So first of all is grasping it. Secondly, it's it's like boundaries. I mean, children need boundaries. Um, And if you see children who've grown up without them, you know, they're lacking purpose, they're adrift, they're unhappy. So, So we need these boundaries and we have to grasp that the biosphere is an absolute boundary that limits our behavior then you say okay well how do you get that biosphere imperative to made real in the practical functioning of humans which is then when we come back to the principle and put it at the center of every governance model and you put it into every constitution tamper proof with the rule of law no wriggle room an imperative for us all. Having got that in, then that's when change starts to happen, when action starts to happen. 
every economic construct and decision will be bio-neutral. So mm. you take the whole tax system, which, which I mean generally is is a mess anyway. You know, why, why do we have income tax? Why, why do we penalise people and employers for going to work? Why do we not have proper location value taxes on land for developments and so on? We need carbon taxes. Um, we need to change the subsidies, penalties, um, mm. financial markets, insurance and so on so that you end up that the cost of something is its total cost, both as now in terms of human costs, but plus the biosphere costs. Right. And it sounds like a big part of identifying and realising what these costs are. It comes down to really gathering information and experiencing what actually goes into what you consume and gain more of a, a, an understanding of the flows of these systems. Yeah, and, and that brings in one of the fundamentals of um, well, systems thinking, which is feedback. You have to know what's going on. I mean, biofuels are a good example at present. And, you know, okay, we're going to get biofuels in, which means it's replacing oil and petrol. The carbon it produces is carbon neutral and so on and so forth. Well, but you then look at, okay, so biofuels, we need to clear land to produce the biomass, which means we need to take down forests. And you start to add it up and you say, well, now, hang on, actually, is biofuels produced in this way? Actually, an answer. Take my computer that I'm sitting here looking at. Well, OK, it costs so much to produce, but but what was the biosphere cost in terms of mm. the um, mining, in terms of the shipping, in terms of the manufacturing, greenhouse gases, and so on and so forth. And by the way, what's going to happen to it uh, after I finish with it? Well, it does sound like this will be a change a bit similar to the institution of putting ingredients on food, that somehow that the same kinds of um, yeah, information when, flows will have to, to follow products yeah. and, and services. I think people underestimate consumer power. And we've talked a bit about uh, food labelling. And there was the classic example when E-numbers were identified and caused hyperactivity in children and other uh, deleterious effects. So the labelling rules were changed uh, that put uh, what E-numbers were on it. And I I can remember I and others, you know, going around supermarkets looking at various sweets and what E, or has it got E111 on it or whatever it Mm, was. I remember that too, yeah. And that shifted quite a lot. Now, consumer power in terms of, um, well, you know, a lot of people have been saying, well, you know, do you want to use Amazon? Can you can you not use local producers, local bookshops, local firms? If you think about uh, 1% of the world's population cause 50% of greenhouse gases from commercial aircraft. If you think about um, people on high incomes and you say, uh, well, what about organic food? Because we need to necessarily need to be totally organic, but we need to get into regenerative farming in, in, a, in a big way, in a massive way. Mm. Well, if I'm on a high income, then not only do I like organic food because it 
better and tastier and less pesticides and all the rest of it. But I think I've got a responsibility to buy that and to encourage the growth of organic food. The fantastic present binging that goes on at children's birthday parties where, you know, they all pile in and there's loads of... Yes, it's yeah. it's shocking. It yes. is. And then what happens to all of that stuff? Do we need to do that or um, can we think of other ways of living? A- another phrase in terms of individual behaviour that came across to me very strongly was focus on where you live. Pretty much everyone has found that there's actually much more going on locally where they live and they don't need to jump on a plane and go to Turkey for difference. Well, that's a great place to finish it. I think focusing on where we live is something we've been doing a lot of in the last year and there are definitely positive aspects to that. Next, Our next episode, let me just check, is going to be about people and constitutional sovereignty. All political power resides in the people who delegate a defined measure of that power to a government and other institutions. So we'll be getting into the nitty-gritty of that. And Ed, thanks, as always, for your time and experience and articulateness. (laughs) Thank you, Philip, for your uh, perceptiveness. Oh, good. Thank you. Well, great. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers.